Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening in again. I am Kaylee Bateman, the Content Director at She Can Code, and today we're going to be discussing diversity in space. How can we ensure equality within future space settlements? Since the 1960s space race, strides have been made within the industry, but while advancements in space tech have moved, one area where the dial has stalled is diversity. The figure of women in the international space industry is just 20%, a figure that hasn't changed much since the 1990s. Within that figure, only 11% of astronauts have been women and just four black women in history have been to space. But with the fight for equality still raging on Earth, how can we be expected to create equality in space? Now, thankfully, I have the wonderful Jessie Shanahan with me today to discuss this. Jessie is the Chief Technology Officer at Another Round, astrophysicist and disability activist. Hello, Jess. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for joining us today. What an interesting topic that we're going to talk about. So I'm, I'm pleased that we've got somebody with your experience um, here to chat about it with us. Uh, before we cover this topic, though, um, could you give us a little background about yourself, please? Yeah, of course. So I'm American, uh, born and raised in the US, where I went to university and I initially studied linguistics. And then I actually ended up switching uh, post back and studying astrophysics. Uh, but instead of continuing with a career in academia, I made the change to, to industry where I became a data scientist and kind of moved up through various roles, working a lot with um, AI ethics and the humanitarian applications for machine learning and AI. But space is still a big passion of mine. I've done, you know, some science communication and writing around space and the intersection of disability advocacy and space science is really, really interesting because I think space gives us some opportunities that maybe we don't have on Earth. So excited to talk about that today. But currently I live in Sweden and uh, like you mentioned, I'm the CTO for Another Round, a company focused on improving the accessibility and diversity within the fitness industry through tech. Amazing. I mean, and we've got so much to cover today as well. So we're, we're going to jump straight in because um, I know our community are super interested to hear about um, solving diversity in space. So we're going to jump right in with um, how far off do you think we are from building space settlements? This is such an interesting question because a lot more goes into it, right? And it it's a bit of a circumstantial question as well, because it depends on who we're building those space settlements for. If we're talking about these efforts to build elite space hotels for the mega rich, that's probably closer than, say, having a colony that's accessible to everyone, of course. But I still think we're probably a good 30, 40 years away from it. Uh, there's, it's extremely costly and there are a lot of challenges. Everything gets difficult in space. And so, um, it's not just, just the same thing as building a settlement here on earth, of course. Uh, so I, I do think we're quite a bit of ways from it, but I think that the conversations, you know, like the one you and I are having need to happen now so that we can plan accordingly. We can try to do this the best way we can. We've kind of always maintained that space affords us an opportunity to have a bit of a blank slate, to not repeat the mistakes that we've made on Earth. And I hope that uh, the the future engineers building habitats, maybe on Mars or the Moon, do keep that into you know keep that in mind because we we have a chance to do it better at the very least. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. It is absolutely um, imperative that we start talking about that now. Um, and and as far you know, the 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 mind goes. You know, what what do you think these settlements will look like? Do you you know will they be a home from home? Will we be able to work from space, build a life? What 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 do you think they're going to look like? Oh, I mean, this is where science fiction also kind of affords us uh, the ability to dream and to have so many different visions of the future. So I think the 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 first space settlements will probably be very rudimentary and staffed kind of similar to the ISS with astronauts and experts because the initial colonies will be very hazardous, maybe even life-threatening. And eventually, though, I'm hoping that they will expand and there'll be a place for everyone. And I think to appeal to kind of a general population, maybe not so much space enthusiasts, but your everyday person, they're going to need to have the same utilities, the same accessibility, the same comforts that we we do expect at home. Now, I think the kind of middle ground there are these space hotels that are kind of in orbit around the Earth. And I think that will be a middle ground, though right now, of course, they're they're aiming at a very elite, rich population, which, of course, is not your everyday person. Um, but yeah, I do think that the Initial settlements will probably leave much to be desired for science fiction fans. But of course, every technology, you have to build the simplest version first. You need to have the proof of concept that then you can expand on. And so I think that initial success is going to be critical, even if it's not as flashy as, you know, sci-fi TV leads us to believe. Yes, yes, we have to start somewhere, don't we? Um, uh, and are human settlements in space important? I mean, would, would you say they are needed? Oh, now that's a, it's a more complicated question than it initially seems. Because I, I think all human beings have an innate desire and curiosity to explore. Yeah, But colonization is a tricky subject, and it's one that has been done very poorly and harmfully on Earth. And so it's something that we should be very mindful about when considering settlements on other planets. Now, with the way climate change is, is going on Earth, it's probably going to be a necessity, at least for the survival of the human race. And eventually, overpopulation, scarcity of natural resources – it will become necessary at some point in the future of humanity that we will will need to expand. It's better for us to use the solar system that we have as a testing ground to develop these technologies to get good at this now before it becomes a crisis and we really have to. Uh, but obviously the, the areas that we're looking at in our own solar system aren't really conducive to human habitability. So we're kind of starting this out on hard mode. We're not going to, you know, an Earth-like planet that has breathable air and abundant water, where we are kind of starting with colonies on barren, very hostile planets and moons, which in a way is a good thing. We'll get we'll get a lot of these challenges out of the way early, which I think is important for, for obviously future success. Yes. And you've mentioned the mega rich a couple of times. Um, obviously, when, when we think of space uh, travel at the minute, we think of the likes of Elon Musk, for instance. Um, how accessible do you think space travel will be in, in the future? Well, it certainly isn't now. Uh, I think both from, from what I just mentioned, from the standpoint of finance, 
financial kind of viability, as well as being physically accessible. There's a lot that the human body goes under when we jettison someone off into space. And that's not really something that everyone can do. I'm hopeful in the future, though, that especially if we want to consider the kind of sustainable, equitable expansion that you and I are talking about, we're going to need to make it accessible. We're going to need to make it something that your everyday person can do. Are we there yet? Goodness, no. <laughs> we are quite <laughs> far from that. It is extremely expensive. And uh, like I mentioned, it's it's really hard on the body and the mind. Space mm-hmm. right now is very isolating. And I, astronauts you know, have spoken about the challenges of, say, being on the ISS and being cut off and being confined. These are much, much smaller spaces that they're confined to for long periods of time than we're really accustomed to. And there's no reason to think a colony will be any different. We're going to want to be really efficient with our use of materials when we start out. And so kind of a luxury apartment is not really what we're going to be going for. And so that's going to be really challenging for sure. Yeah, yeah. And we've mentioned obviously achieving equality um, a, a few times here, which is what our main discussion is today. And and if if we haven't achieved equality on Earth, how can we ensure that we achieve this in space? Is it, as you mentioned, just something that, you know, we, we do from, from the ground up um, in terms of who works in the industry um, or is, is it a little bit more than that? I think it's it's a lot of things. I think who works in the industry is important, right? Mm-hmm. There's this concept in disability advocacy of, you know, having the voices and lived experience of the people who are marginalized. They need to represent themselves. We can't have people in power kind of speaking for them. You know, nothing about us without us. And I think that's a really really important concept. So we do. We need diversity and inclusion in space sciences, in engineering. But we also need the policies and kind of the the strength of the law behind it as well. And this is really important. And I kind of advocate for this approach to a lot of different things. But you need the top down and the bottom up. You need to build representation and the right voices at the table. But you also need to have that structure that regulations and uh, law provide. Because unfortunately... You, you have to go in it kind of with a risk mindset. You can't always trust that these companies are going to do the right thing. And right now we're seeing the commercialization first of space travel. And so you, you really can't trust for-profit companies to always have ethics in mind as a priority. Mm-hmm. And so we need, the, we need compliance. We need law in order to provide that structure to prevent, you know, I think some of the most egregious mistakes. Yes, yeah, I completely agree there. Um, instead of just, you know, hoping that it will just happen because, you know, we're we're trying to make changes um on earth within other companies anyway. Um, I just wanted to ask you there a little bit about about your um obviously your career, you you you've had quite the transition. Um, I think a lot of our ladies listening would just love to know. You know, if you, if they were thinking about going into the tech industry, where where would they get started? It's such a, oh, I love this question and I get asked it a bunch. It really depends, I would say, first on what you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. That's something you can't, you can't lose that thread of curiosity and interest. Tech is massive. It's a huge, huge field. And so find something about it that's interesting. That could be maybe you come from an art background, you're interested in design. I would guide you towards, you know, front end UI, UX type work. If you maybe instead have a passion for applied math and statistics, I might 
point you towards machine learning. There's a lot of different places to start. One thing I would really encourage people to do is to not let a lack of a degree hold them back. Degrees are important in a lot of fields and they can be requirements. And don't worry, even if you see them on a job ad, still apply. But in tech, there is a broader mindset. You know, your, your portfolio, maybe some certification, some classes you took online. These things can really showcase skill and transferable skills, especially that maybe a degree doesn't. So I would say the vast majority of people I work with don't have degrees in tech. So don't let that hold you back. But, you know, find that find that aspect of it that you're interested in. There are things that are really broadly applicable. Learning a programming language, for example, you learn your first one, then you learn one more. And suddenly the more and more you learn, it becomes easier, especially to kind of shift between roles. Um, but yeah, that's I, I would I would recommend not lose it, feeling like you have to give up on what you've done with your career so far. In fact, the the people that I've worked with that have had those non-traditional paths, they've brought so much more to the table. Whether it's, you know, I've worked with people who had law degrees, people who were previously biologists, who even, you know, just uh, opera singers, and they bring so much to the table through that lived experience, through all of that uh, strange skills that you wouldn't expect, but it's a different perspective. And I think we need a lot more of that in tech. So unless you desperately want to leave that part of your career behind, which is totally fine as well, I would say don't feel like you have to turn your back on it. See what ways you can kind of find the union between what you've done so far and the very broad field of technology. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I hear that a lot as well. I think as well, I hear that, that, you know, people find the tech industry quite daunting. Do you find that as well, particularly with space tech? I mean, you know, people must find that quite intimidating to think, you know what, probably a career in space tech is not for me. <laughs> I think tech is, it's intimidating for a couple of different reasons and same with space tech. So talking about technology broadly for a second, I think sometimes it's actually rooted a little more in misogyny. And here's why. You know, as as we look through history and we see respected professions, as the percentage of women in those professions has increased, we've seen that the reputation for the difficulty of that profession decreases. And I think that tech is is, you know, it's very male dominated and I don't think it's any different. You know, there's a reason that biological engineering has the reputation for being easier than say electrical engineering. Well, Biological engineering has a lot more women in it. And I don't think, I, I, you know, I see this as well, actually, with humanities versus STEM. And I think it's a, it's an unprofitable debate. I don't think it helps anyone. And having been on both sides, having a degree in humanities as well as a career in tech, I'd say they're both difficult. They're both challenging. But I do think that a lot of this has to do with who's doing the work. So you have that you have that kind of environment to start out with, right? And it is a bit, there is kind of this, you know, elitism I found with, especially in male-dominated industries, that there's a competitiveness and need to prove yourself. And I remember this actually happening in my own career where I was the only non-man on a team for the first years and years of my career. And then I remember the first time I worked on a team of almost entirely women. I was never asked to prove myself. My skills were 
If I said I know how to do something, it was just accepted. You know, they, they welcomed me and supported me and I didn't feel like I had to earn respect. It was given, of course it could be lost, but it was given freely to start out with. I was given the benefit of the doubt in a way that I had never experienced previously. So I think that that's, that's kind of the broader context when we're talking about how tech is intimidating. I think there's another side of it, which is tech moves rapidly. There's always new technology coming out. So I can say that you have to get very, very comfortable with not knowing things. And I think I see this in a lot of people who transition from academia, where you're led to kind of build a deep, narrow expertise in something and feel like you have to know everything about that narrow topic. In tech, you got to get really comfortable with there being portions of it that you don't know about. By all means, pursue your curiosity, you know, fill those gaps where you want. But it's so broad that no one person is going to know everything. And there's going to be something new that comes out that you you don't know about. And that can be really intimidating for people. We kind of as a species, I feel like, are very uncomfortable with the unknown and with not yes. knowing. And that kind of brings me to why space science is challenging and feels intimidating. You've got this whole, you know, everything I've talked about in tech already. And on top of that, you're dealing with one of the most hostile environments known to man. And that's, if that isn't challenging, I don't know what is. And so I think, I think it's the combination of those two things that can lead to it seeming, I don't know, inaccessible and intimidating to kind of people who are interested. Yes. Yeah. And you just touched um, upon accessibility um, there as well as is a perfect lead into my next question, actually. Um, you, you, you created the hashtag um, disabled in STEM um, and you're a big advocate for disability justice uh, and accessibility. So how can we ensure those with disabilities are not forgotten in the space race? Put them in charge. <laughs> in addition to that, though, I mean, again, like I've been saying, you need to have disabled engineers, disabled space scientists working on these problems. But also, if you don't, you're running some pretty massive risks. There's actually a lot of work being done looking at how disabilities might in space provide advantages that they don't on Earth. So one example I like to tell of this is um, Commander Hadfield, who is the commander of the ISS previously. Uh, he tells this story about, I think he was doing an EVA, if I remember right, and something happened with his suit where like uh, some kind of fluid dripped into his eye and he was blinded and temporarily. Yeah. And he had to navigate with no sight. Something that for the vast majority of us, even with a lot of training, we probably would be as sighted people very uncomfortable with that. Hmm. Whereas a blind astronaut would have no problem. Similarly, the this is and this is a really important point that I, I like to make whenever talking about accessibility is that when you focus on disability and you remove barriers for disabled people, you actually improve things for everyone. Now it should be enough. The value of improving things for you know disabled people should be enough of a uh, you know of a reward for us to pursue that in and of itself. But it really does improve things for everyone. So, for example. Uh, on the ISS, it's really important that a lot of the equipment goes in the exact same place every time. And so this is when, in a panic, if something goes wrong, people can rely on muscle memory. They know exactly where, you know, their fire extinguisher is, where, you know, a particular tool is. Now, that's the exact same thing a blind person would need as well. They would need things yeah. to be in a, the same location and easy to access. And so when we design things for disabled people, 
We improve it for everyone. We make it better because one, not everyone who actually has a disability views it that way. We think like there's some kind of, you know, line where suddenly you're disabled and suddenly you're not when really it's kind of more of a gradient. And there are people who live with, you know, they, they live with things that one person might call a disability, but they don't see it that way. So they never know to ask for help. They never know to ask for accommodations. Whereas when we build things with them in mind, removing barriers from the start, we don't rely on people to have the, you know, the, the, well, in the U S the financial access to get diagnosed with a disability and to receive care to, to be considered disabled in kind of the formal sense of the word. We don't rely on people disclosing, you know, that's, that's a really important thing that, that kind of adds to a power imbalance is making people come forward and say, I have a disability. Here's what it is here. What, here's what I need. If instead we build our space station, our space colony with disabled people in mind, first and foremost, I think we'll find that, that it's better for, for everyone, every person who, who goes to space. Yeah. And just the, just the, um, the way that people think as well, and the team, the, the way that a team thinks um, and works together. I mean, diversity as a whole, just ensuring that, you know, people, if a product's about to release and somebody comes forward and says, you know what, hey, have you thought about this? You know, that's not my experience. And instead a product can go out and it can be an absolute PR disaster, but nobody was there actually to point out that, you know, it affects um, a a certain group in society. Um, But having those people on the team just would have ensured that, you know, that embarrassment hadn't have happened in the first place. Um, So NASA hopes to land the first woman on the moon by 2024. So what more um, can the space industry do on Earth to increase female representation? We spoke a little bit, uh, you know, about this already and about um, getting more women um, into the sector. Um, What else do you think we can do to encourage that? Yeah. So I think, you know, I'm actually going to talk about one thing that I don't see talked about a lot. I think if you Google you know, gender diversity, space science, things like that. You're going to see a lot of recommendations about, you know, representation, having people at the table, all the things that we've been talking about. So rather than reiterating all of that, I want to point out something that I don't think is talked about enough, which is the inequalities when it comes to how technology is built. And what I mean by that is uh, the safety mechanisms, the spacesuits, the chairs themselves, every aspect of that is typically designed for, by, and tested only on men. And so if you really want to start talking about improving things, there are obviously all the things that we've already talked about that you can do to improve it. But a critical aspect is to start testing on, designing for, and having things be designed by women. Because there's going to be this perspective that we desperately need and there are going to be issues that haven't been thought about. And so I'm kind of reminded of, um, oh, what was it? I mean, I, in my own personal story, I'm reminded of when I'm volunteering for the fire department that finding equipment that fit me as a smaller person was very, very challenging. Yes. Um, and, and kind of making do with men's equipment that's kind of been, oh, ad hoc, last minute kind of adjusted for you raises not only 
comfort problems, but it also raises safety problems. And I think there's, you know, a lot of research that's come out (laughs) about, you know, say, um, vehicle testing and seatbelts and how airbags are designed to preserve the safety of men, but actually are harmful to women, Mm -hmm. things like that, that I think this is a really important area that we need to focus on in space science, launching people, launching humans, into space is so dangerous. It is incredibly dangerous. It is incredibly difficult. We need to make sure that all of the equipment that we're building, the colony that we someday build, the tools that we have people use are accessible to everyone and are built by and designed for everyone. And I think this is this is a really critical aspect because you can get as many women as you want in the room, but if there's no spacesuit that fits them, they're not going to space. And I think that's that's something that really needs to be considered and tackled. Yeah, and and in space, I mean, you know, it would be incredibly dangerous. You remind me actually of um, when I was a young reporter, I was sent. You get sent off on on um, lots of strange things to cover stories. And I had a trip down to the sewer system um, to see the networking cables that run through the sewers in London. And I remember um, everything that I had to put on was made for men. And considering the smallest pair of boots they had were a size seven and I am a size three, when I had to go down a ladder with these boots on, it was incredibly dangerous. And I kept thinking to myself, please, you know, don't fall head first in in uh, sewer water and i remember this this you know they were they were quite concerned about that everything that i had on was clearly made for men um, and it just hadn't crossed their mind that you know what they might actually have a lady work there one day but um i absolutely agree it's you know and not just having people work there but have their people to to design it and women to design it as well um so it's not just safe but it's comfortable Um, as well. Absolutely agree, you know, how dangerous that could be in space. Yeah, especially where, you know, it it really is life and death. And like you said, having having that experience, right, you knew in that moment, wow, this is an environment that's not for me. And this is this is the argument that I make when, you know, and I hear this a lot is, oh, women want representation until it comes to the grimy work until it comes to, you know, undersea welding and things. It's like, no, Actually, there's plenty of women who want all of this dangerous and dirty work, but the second they step into these environments, everything from the design of it to the way they're treated tells them you are not welcome here. Hmm. And I think that's something that, whereas it's probably better, I would say, in in space science than some other areas, there's still a lot of work to do. Yeah, I think, yeah, you've hit the nail on the head there with that feeling welcome because um, there's, there's always been that problem in the tech industry about not just, you know, making sure that ladies come into the industry, but how do we retain them as well? And you're absolutely correct. If, if they don't feel welcome in their environment, then, you know, that lady will leave um, and we would have lost another another um, valuable asset to, to the space tech industry. Jess, we, we are already out of time and um, the conversation has flown by because that was such an interesting conversation to have and a really unique topic to have on our podcast. So thank you so much for taking the time to come and speak with us today um, about space tech. I would love to have you back in the future as well to hear more on the subject um, and to hear more about your career. So thank you for joining us. Of course. Thank you for having me. And I'd I'd love to be back. There's so much more to talk about. It's hard to squeeze it into a time slot, but hopefully we'll have, you know, time in the future to talk more.
Yes, yes, we we will definitely um, fit you in again. Thank you for everybody for listening in again today. We hope to see you again next time.